I have preached to you um, seven seven services now I have preached my guts out I have left spiritually and physically drained and exhausted you 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 just don't know what it takes out of a man unless you do what I do for 50 minutes that's that's why I don't take it well when people just sit there relaxed and look at me. Because I want you to fight with me. God never intended preaching to be a one-man show. It's a give and a receive. those that have the mindset I like to just listen to the word of God well according to the Bible you're deceiving yourself (laughs) go look it up but tonight I don't know how much preaching I will do but if you'll just allow me let me talk to you tonight feel something burning in my spirit it's a message you don't hear very much anymore which is which is a shame but there's several things we need to pick back up but but there's one thing in particular that 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 we better get back in our hands if we're going to move forward I'm going to let you be seated we're just going to dive into this and see where the Holy Ghost takes us tonight we are placed as the reader beyond the taped off crime scene of the death of a man named Amasa. Amasa has taken the position that Joab once had. Amasa, with the instructions from King David, has taken his men and has went after an individual named Sheba. At the end of the story, the king's people are going to win the battle, going to be victorious. But before they are able to raise their hands in victory. Joab meets Amasa in the road. 
Amasa doesn't understand the hatred that Joab now has toward him. And so when Joab sticks out his hand, Amasa took no heed to the sword that Joab was carrying. We are told that Joab took Amasa by the beard to kiss him as a sign of affection, as, as a sign of unity and togetherness. But while he is embraced with the kiss, Joab takes the sword that Amasa knows not of. And Joab stabs Amasa in the rib. The Bible leaves nothing to the imagination. As we are told, bowels begin to gush out. We are told that Amasa wallowed in his own blood. He dies on the road to victory because Amasa had become more concerned with what was coming from Joab's mouth than what Joab was holding in his hand. Listening more to his words than watching his actions. And so there on the road to victory that the king has sent them on, Amasa dies. And the Bible tells us that the men that were with Amasa, that were going with him to slay Sheba, we are told that the people stood and watched Amasa choke on his own blood. They just stood there with their hands in their pocket. They just stood there and watched Amasa die without trying to save the man, without trying to resuscitate the man. They just stood still and watched him die. That's where we are in 2 Samuel 20. But to get us there, We've got to turn the pages of the Bible back a few chapters to where we read those famous words, Amnon had a friend. It was from this friend that Amnon had that a horrific act would take place in the king's palace. A rape would take place by a brother to his own sister. And when David finds out what has happened, David, for whatever reason, decides to do nothing about it. He perhaps thinks to himself that maybe if I just slide it under the rug, time will heal the wound. And so let's just move on from this. But what David doesn't know is Absalom has found out about it. And Absalom, it, it doesn't sit well with him that father doesn't do anything, that father doesn't, doesn't pronounce judgment or punishment, that father just chooses to ignore the sin. 
And so Absalom thinks to himself, well, if daddy doesn't do anything, then maybe I should do something. But two wrongs never make a right. And so Absalom sends himself as payback for what his brother had done to his sister, David finds out and David is upset and we are told that Absalom runs away from home for three years. And when the three years is up, now during those three years, not one time does David inquire about his boy. Not one time does David try to find where his boy is hiding at. But after three years, Absalom comes back And you would think that now that he's back in the kingdom, now that he's back in town, that daddy would reach out a hand. But again, David does nothing. And so Absalom decides that that, that I don't want to wait for my turn to run the kingdom. I don't I don't, I don't want to wait for a few more years. So what I will do is I will stand in the gates of the courts, in the gates of the city. And everyone that's got business with the king, before they find themselves in the presence of the king, they will pass me. And so Absalom did. And in doing this, the Bible said he stole the hearts of the people. He told them whatever they wanted to hear. He said, don't waste your time going to the king. Tell me your business and I'll give you the advice. I'll give you the information of what you should do. And he stole the hearts of the people. Every time I've heard this story preached, every time I've heard this story talked about, we put Absalom as the bad guy. We shine the light on Absalom as if he's the only one in the room. But if you go beyond man and get your nose in the book yourself, you will find an amazing revelation that the Bible said Absalom, now King James is a misprint. It's actually four years, but King James says 40 years. That's a misprint. But but the fact is that Absalom has been standing in the gate, stealing the hearts of the people for four years. You will never convince me That for four years, David didn't know what was going on. You'll never make me believe that for four years, the king who's running the palace, who knows all the business of the kingdom, had no clue what the boy was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had got word what he was doing. But again, instead of doing something about it, he just stays put on his throne. And David is on the throne telling those who don't listen to Absalom, you need to listen to me because I'm the one in the right. While you got 
people whose, whose hearts have been stolen by Absalom and Absalom's telling them no you need to listen to me I'm the one in the right and instead of two men doing what is right they're more concerned with being right that a kingdom is divided in the midst of them more concerned about pats on the backs more concerned about personal praise more concerned about them being right than doing what's right for the kingdom and whenever you make this all about you there's a kingdom in danger there's a kingdom gonna fall there's a kingdom gonna crumble there's a kingdom gonna be wiped out Stay with me. We 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 live in a divided nation. It doesn't take a it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. This is a divided nation. There was a day if you believed the way you believed, and I believed the way I believed, if you voted for who you voted for, and I voted for who I voted for, we respected each other. But now if you don't agree, you're the enemy. We've made this all about being right and not doing what's right. And so we wind up burning up cities and we wind up fighting and we might wind up rioting and, and we wind up killing. And, but you hear me, CMT, the division in the nation doesn't concern me as much as the division in the kingdom does. I mean, this should be the most perfect time for God's blood-bought church to come together and show the world you can still have love in the midst of chaos and you can still be together even though you don't agree with everything. But instead of the church showing the nation how we should be, we're following their example. And so you've got one pastor telling another pastor, you shouldn't have church. COVID is going to kill all your people. And the other pastor is saying, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And the third pastor is saying, just do it online. And the fourth pastor is saying, just do it in the parking lot. My God, I thought the main deal was just to preach. I thought the main thing was just to win the laws. Come on, and that leadership brings division in the church. And now you got churches that can't fellowship and churches that aren't unified. Come on, I'm going somewhere. And churches that aren't together, and that breeds into their own assembly. And now you got people in their own body who can't pray together, who can't worship together, who can't go to church together. And then that goes to the home. And he got father against mother and, and, and father, come on, father against son and husband against wife. And all it is is an attack of the enemy to bring division when there should be unity, to bring chaos when there should be peace, to bring rejection when there should be revival.
do it this way. No, do it that way. And I'm in the middle saying, just do it. Who cares how you do it? Just do it. David stays on his throne. I'm the big kahuna around here. I'm the king. You listen to me. Absalom's saying, you don't do anything. You don't preach against anything. Listen to me. And the kingdom is fallen beneath it. The kingdom is nowhere God meant for it to be. And so because of this division, David leaves town. David's got his band of men and Absalom's got his band of men. David says, I'm not going to fight my boys so I'll just leave town. And when he does, a battle breaks out and David tells Joab. David instructs Joab, if you get Absalom, if you capture Absalom, don't kill him. I know he's done wrong. I I know he's messed up the kingdom. I, I know there's a division, but he's still my boy. He's still my son. <clears throat> don't, don't kill him. Don't, don't slay him. So in the battle, they catch Absalom. He's caught on a tree. And Joab shows up and sees the man still alive, but hanging there. He can't fight. He can't defend himself. So Joab takes out the sword and stabs Absalom and kills the man. Does the very thing the king said, don't do. He doesn't give the man a fair chance. He kills him when he can't fight back. So word is sent to David. And word is told that Absalom, your boy, is dead. And the Bible says that David falls on the ground and begins crying, Oh, my boy, my boy Absalom. Oh, my son, my son Absalom. David inquires even further, How did he die? Who killed him? Tell me all that went on. And and Joab has to admit, I stabbed him. I'm the one that killed him. And so it was at that point that David took Joab's position away and gave it to Amasa. And David told Amasa, there's a man named Sheba that's coming against the kingdom. And David said, Sheba would do us more harm than Absalom ever could think about doing. We've got to nip this in the bud now. We've got to stop it now. We've got to slay the man now. We've got to make sure Sheba goes no further than he's already went. So Amasa, you take Judah. You take my people. By the way, those that went with David when he left town was the tribe of Judah. And those that stayed with Absalom was the people of Israel. Judah went with David because you can never separate praise from the king. 
They're always together. They're always one. If you want the king, you got to praise. And when you praise, you'll get the king because they're always linked up. So he tells Amasa, you take Judah and you go out and you slay Sheba. You kill him. And so Amasa takes Judah and they're on their way. Hear me. Hear me, Christ Memorial Temple. They're on their way to victory. They're on their way to blessing. They're on their way to winning. They're on their way to dominion. They're on their way to power. They're on their way to authority. They're on their way to control. They're on their way to revival. Before they get there, Joab takes a mace by the beard, pulls out the sword, stabs him in the fifth rib, bowels gush out. He wallows in blood. And the Bible said the people stood still. They stopped. They quit. They were on their way to what the king said they could have. But they stopped and they stood still. Here we go. You know what the name of Mesa means? It means burden. B-U-R-D-E-N, burden. When the burden died, the king's people stood still. When the burden was wallowing in its blood, the people just stood there. When the burden breathed its last breath, the people just stood there. Because people without a burden don't want to fight. People without a burden don't want to pray. The reason why some of you in seven services haven't moved one time, it's not your age, it's not how you feel, it's because you've lost the burden. We in Pentecost have lost the art of burden bearing because we're too busy with our own personal lives to care about anybody else. If you want to know how popular the pastor is, come on Wednesday night. If you want to know how popular the church is, come on Sunday night. But if you want to know how popular God is, come to prayer meeting. We got too much on our plate anymore. 
Got too many irons in the fire, too many hats to wear, too many, too many things to do. And when you lose the burden, you just stand there. You stand there rejoicing over what the king has done without ever getting your hands on what the king wants to do. Let me help some of you out. When we have a blowout service and people shouting and dancing, the worst thing you can do is come up and tell somebody, that's how we used to have church. How sad is that? You used to do that. How sad is it that, that, that he preaches the way they used to preach? You know why there's a use to them there? Because we've allowed a mesa to die. And we just stand there. Well, thank God for what he did 20 years ago. Thank God for what he did 40 years ago. Thank God for what he did 60 years ago. But there's victory to be had. There's revival to be had. There's battles to be won. Isn't it amazing how we pray for revival and we preach revival and we believe revival and we fast for revival and we sing about revival? But when God starts giving revival and the church starts growing and people start coming and we run out of room and so we talk about building a new building, we get upset. So God's answering the prayer you've been asking, but now you're mad about it. Well, this is my church, and this is my building, and I built this, and I paid this, and I... Last time I read, the church was purchased by the blood of Jesus, not by your money. so many years okay what's your point see it's preaching like this while there's still a need for an evangelist voice because if he said this stuff y'all may take it a different way but I'm not from here I don't know you people all I know is what God wants to do. And what God wants to do, this building's too small for. So if you've got to build it a new location, who cares? It's what you've been praying for. It's what you've been asking for. It's what you've been waiting for. See, when a mesa dies on you, you just stand there. 
so easy to get angry when you lose the burden. Because the burden affects the way you think. The burden affects the way you feel. A burden is a heavy thing to carry. A burden is what keeps you up at night. A burden is what doesn't let, let you sleep. A burden, a burden gnaws at you. A burden wears you out spiritually, mentally, and physically. A burden weighs you down. Well, we got so many people without one. Yes, Brother Carson, they just don't want one. Was the last time you had a, when was the last time you had such a burden for your lost family that you didn't leave them alone even when they got mad at you? How long has it been since you've had a burden to win this city that nothing else mattered until you did? I made a statement last night while you were shouting so you may not have called it. We always talk about the will of God. We want the will of God. We want to be in the perfect will of God. We pray about the perfect will of God. Yet that Bible tells us what the will of God is. Statistically, as far as the world is, is concerned, a successful church runs 10% of the population of the city. You told me what, 72,000 lived? lived. So, so a successful church, according to the world, if this is a successful church, you have a congregation of 7,000 people. See, I, I just looked at some of you and you was like, oh my God. Why are you like that? I tell you why, you've lost your burden. But now I'm going to shock you even more. I don't want a church that the world says is a success. So if you want to know what the will of God is, it's not his will that any perish, but all come. So if you're blown away by 7,000, I'll tell you what God wants. He wants you to have 72,000. Well, that's too big. That's too much. I don't think it will ever happen. For every one reason you can give me of why it won't, I can give you the reason why it will. If God be for us, who can be against us? without a burden will never understand those with one. Those without one will look at those with one and say, they're arrogant. They're cocky. I've had that said about me a thousand times. 
I tell them, no, I'm not. I'm confident. Because God's on my side. Let me help you. The difference in cockiness and confidence is confidence is when you think you're right. Cockiness is when you think you're the only one right. I'm not about to let man come along and talk me out of God's blessings when he said if I would just keep his commandments, follow his statutes, obey his laws, he'll bless me in the city, he'll bless me in the field, he'll bless me when I come in, he'll bless me when I go out. I'm not going to let the lack that you have a burden stop me from carrying mine. I, I, won't, I won't go into all the details. It's a long story. But, but three years ago, God placed a heavy, heavy, heavy burden on me to go, to go out west. We had been there before, but it's been, it was 10 years since we've been there. And there's a particular pastor in Las Vegas that's been after me for for seven years now to go out there and we stay so busy it just takes a lot of time and logistics just a lot of planning to do all of it and I just never took the time but three years ago God just placed the burden in me to go so we went without going into all the detail it was a God thing I didn't go just to say I went it was a God thing and God moved and God opened doors beyond my wildest dreams. He even opened doors on the way out there. He... And so now when I tell people that I have a unquenchable love for California, they look at me like I've lost my mind. Because it's so liberal and they're they just do whatever and they let anything go. How can somebody Holy Ghost filled love? You see, those without a burden will never understand those with one. Here's what happened. A mesa is wallowing in his blood. The people are standing there just watching. But the Bible says there was a man who came from the crowd. There was a man who went to a mesa. And the Bible said he picked a mesa up. And the Bible said he carried a mesa out of the road. He laid him down. He put a napkin over his face. And then the Bible says, the people went on. So the church stood still until somebody picked the burden back up. And the Bible says all the man did was put a napkin over his face. He did not bury a mesa. 
He did not have a shovel. He did not dig a grave. He just picked him up, carried him out, and laid a napkin over his face. You want my title? Here it is. Don't bury it. Bear it. Don't bury the burden. Bear the burden. Don't bury the burden. Pick it back up. Don't bury the burden. Get it back in your hands. Why? Because we can't go on until you pick it back up. We won't move forward until you pick it back up. We won't kill the Shebas until we take care of a Mesa. Bowels gushing out, wallowing in blood. When the man picks him up, he's a bloody mess. He's dirty. It's despicable. Come on. It's not pleasant. It's not the way anybody chooses to look. But that's what happens when you get a burden. You don't care how you look. You don't care what people say. You don't care how dirty it is. You don't care if you're the only one with the mesa in your hands. You don't care. Come on. How long you have to pray? How many days you got to fast? How many doors you got to knock on? How many times you got to worship? When a mesa is in your hands, that's all you care about. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I feel. You can take it, you can leave it. I'm going to tell you what I feel. God has taken this place far beyond where you've been. God is with, if God's not convinced you the past seven services, you're unconvincible. God's taken us somewhere. We got some of you worshiping that's never worshiped. God's got some of you moving that's never moved. It's like God has put all the puzzle pieces together in bringing Eddie Robinson back, in bringing Timothy Gopher back. Tony Carson is a wise man. God has brought all this stuff back together, and you're going places. You're going to a revival. You're going to a bigger church. You're going to more anointing. God, you better hear me right now. You're going to more blessing and more favor and more dominance and more control but the very thing that some of you lack is a burden so I'm not telling you to pick your shout back up because some of you have I'm not telling you pick your praise back up but some of you have but you hear me there's a burden that you've laid down. There's a burden that you've allowed to die. Oh, God, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. There's a burden that you've just stood there and allowed it to breathe this last breath. All, all this evangelist wants to know is, is there one person? That's all we need. We just need one individual that makes up in their mind, I'm moving a mesa. 
shaking and they should back up. I refuse to be the one that causes us to just stand here. I refuse to be the one that causes us to just look around. No, as for me, give me a Mesa. If you're too perfect and you're too sanctified, that's your problem. I'll take on the bloody corpse. I'll take on the mess. I'll take on the ugliness. But I want to go on. I want to move on. I want to go forward.